I almost don't know what to say. Emil's sick and it's me. But he's done this before without me, but I've not done this before without him. Luckily, the one and only producer Jono, though, will be here. Hello, everybody. Does this mean I'm going to have to wait to find out who won Fun Fact Friday? Well, no, because it's not your fault that Emil is sick. So it's I not think my fault. We can still reveal that later on in the app. Good, because I was actually getting a little bit like, okay, he's going to have to have a miraculous recovery if we're not going to be able to talk about that for the whole week. Kia ora, this is Newsable, I'm Imogen. And I'm Jono, and this is What's Worth Talking About. How many people are heading across the ditch to Australia? Spoiler alert, it's a lot, and the brain drain is real. Prince Harry versus the media round 3,762 or something like that. He's facing the British tabloids in court this week, so what can we expect? Are petrol prices about to take a massive hike, and why it's not actually our government's fault? And an unexpected controversy we're keen for your opinions on, do you reheat your leftovers before you eat them? All that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. So here's some news for your Tuesday morning. Petrol prices could be about to take a jump. I'm really sorry, but just like everything else in our lives right now, it's looking like that price is going to increase. In the budget, the government announced the fuel tax subsidy would end at the end of this month, so from July onwards. And now we find out from OPEC, the Organisation of Leading Oil Producing Countries, that they're going to limit production in a bid to hold up global oil prices from, guess when, July as well. So here to explain is Brad Olsen from Infometrics. Morena, Brad. Morena. I just gave the briefest of explanations of what OPEC is. Can you give us a bit more detail? What is OPEC and why why do its decisions matter? Yeah, so OPEC and OPEC Plus are some of the largest oil producers in the world. Together they account for about 40% of total oil supply. And when you control 40%, that's 4-0, uh, you have a big ability to direct how prices for oil go. Uh, so what we're seeing across the world is that with the global economy not looking all that strong at the moment, oil prices have been falling back. Uh, I think at the end of last week they were sort of hovering around at $76 or so US a barrel. Uh, with OPEC, of course, they make money from oil. So when the price of oil goes down, if there's a global recession or something expected to come through, they're not going to make as much cash. They implemented a cutback in April, bit of a surprise cut to oil production. Uh, given how supply and demand works, if you're cutting that supply that's available, generally speaking, you boost the price. That's what they had tried to achieve uh, back in April. It spiked for a bit, but those global recessionary fears pulled it back. Uh, we're now back in that same position where OPEC is uh, trying to cut the production to try and raise the price. And it's one of the largest production cuts by the looks of it in a few years. So as I mentioned before, the fuel tax subsidy ends in July. That's also when Saudi Arabia is planning to start this fresh round of cuts. Is this going to be a brace for impact situation? And, and if prices do skyrocket, how quickly could we feel that at the pump here in New Zealand? 
Certainly when, with, uh, in terms of those fuel taxes uh, coming back to their more normal levels, uh, if you will, there is an expectation that's going to be a pretty swift hit, uh, 28.5 cents a litre back on to something like 91 petrol. Uh, if you're driving a diesel, your road user charges will go back up as well. The question then, like you say, mm. is if you're doing that at the same time as OPEC are starting to cut production and raise prices, what does that mean? Uh, back in April when they cut, uh, the international oil price went up by about $9 a barrel, so it was a pretty big increase uh, pretty quickly, but it did come back over time. I, and I think for New Zealand, what that likely means is that, yes, we would expect to see an even larger increase coming forward than just that 28 and a half cents a litre from the 1st of July. Given the oil companies and, and sort of how uh, those prices have tended to move before, I probably would expect them to move pretty quickly. You'd just hope that if they do start to fall like they did after the April cut, uh, they would also start to fall here in New Zealand. Um, always feels like a, quite a lot of people sort of suspect that the oil companies don't uh, cut their prices quite as quickly. Um, there are a range of factors to do with that, but I think given how much uh, that is going to hit household budgets, you know, it's a whole a bunch more uh, additional costs that households are going to have to wear. Uh, certainly an expectation that probably as quickly as the international prices go up, ours will probably go up too. Might be time to start Google mapping a walk to work, I think. Brad Olson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Prince Harry hates the media. And isn't it weird that that's not a controversial statement in the slightest, really? Like, he just actually genuinely hates the media. But we're about to get a new look at just how much he hates them. And this time, we're not going to have to hear about his frostbitten weenie. He's testifying in a court case in the UK this week, suing a whole bunch of newspapers for acting illegally to get stories about him. Producer Jono, royal correspondent, what's this case actually about? Prince Harry is among around, it's a group of around 100 celebs, and they're accusing the Mirror Group of phone hacking on a, quote, industrial scale, obtaining their private details by deception and carrying out other illicit acts to get information about them and then turn that into front page tabloid stories. The claimants say senior management at the company knew what was going on and they knew it was illegal but they did nothing to stop it. The company denies anyone in leadership knew what its reporters were doing to get some of these front page stories, uh, and therefore they shouldn't be held liable. And so what does Prince Harry say Mirror Group did? Well, Harry says... 140 stories about him that appeared across the Mirror Group's newspapers. They own quite a few of them. Uh, he says all those stories were a result of phone hacking or other unlawful behaviour. But actually only about 30 of those are going to be kind of dissected at this trial. Mirror Group has already admitted there is some evidence that Harry was among those targeted by the illegal information gathering activities. And for that, it's apologised and says he is entitled to compensation. However, it's rejecting a whole bunch of his other claims, saying that a lot of the information came from a senior aide to his father, now King Charles. Mm. And that's what that's what he says, isn't it, in the book and in yeah. the documentaries. I wouldn't even know how to hack a phone. Maybe I'll hack yours. I mean, it would be so boring. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead... The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. 
You'll also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So, for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read from Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. We may joke about hating Aussies, but turns out... Thousands of us are willing to live across the Tasman. The brain drain across the ditch is real, with thousands of people heading to the land of higher wages, more sunshine and lots more spiders. But whatever else Aussie can offer, it seems like New Zealanders want it. But it's not easy to work out just how big a problem this is. But luckily, Stuff's business reporter Jed Can has done all the hard work for me. Hi, Jed. <laughs> Hi. So do we know how many people are heading across the ditch? Is this really looking like a, a brain drain? Yes, and increasingly so. Um, I mean, one of the problems we're going to talk about probably in a minute is that uh, the New Zealand government doesn't have as good a handle on it as it did. Um, the last time Stats New Zealand updated us, it was in September, and then we had a provisional loss of about 10,200 people. Um, and data from the uh, Australian Bureau of Statistics, uh, who do continually monitor this, um, suggests that's really ramping up. In the March quarter, we had... Uh, 12,650 Kiwis uh, arriving in Australia with the intention to stay. And uh, I mean, that was a 42% increase just from the quarter before. Wow, that's huge. Are we getting any Aussies coming this way? Are we balancing out the skill sets that we're, that we're losing? Difficult to say, um, but it doesn't look like it. Um, mm. In the year to the end of March, uh, 38,430 Kiwis went to Oz. Uh, and Stats New Zealand does record people coming the other way, and it was only 6,800. Um, so, you know, a big, a big mismatch there. And um, you mentioned the government and its handle on things. So what's what's going on? Well, essentially, we made this decision to get rid of departure cards um, in 2018. And um, Stats New Zealand, uh, they provided a, a fun quote to me that essentially says they did advise them uh, that there would be no statistical advantages to this and the, um, the loss of particularly the information around what uh, the occupation were of those people leaving uh, was. So we really, we really have minimal visibility of that. We've got skill shortages here across a number of industries. Is, are, are these shortages just going to get worse? Very difficult to say. Um, we do luckily have uh, the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment do track uh, the number of people coming on on visas that do require a certain occupation. And a lot of the insights from that suggest that we are getting the people we need in a lot of sectors. We're getting a lot of building laborers, lots of carpenters, lots of cooks and chefs and truck drivers. Essentially, it does shape up uh, as if we're uh, we're sorting some of the shortages we have in the building industry, health, tourism and trucking sectors. Um, but on other fronts, uh, there just seems to be uh, a complete lack of, of the right people coming in. Teachers is the big one I've looked at recently. Mm. Um, the, the most recent kind of update uh, in September from, uh, from Cabinet suggested we needed about 937 teachers. Uh, only about 332 have come in. And because working conditions and pay in Aussie, if you're a teacher, are they, are they better? Yes, substantially better. I've uh, recently spoken to somebody who, who did get offered a job and would have gone, but they said they needed her in three weeks. And she was going to be earning, I think it was $50,000 more. Um, 50000 more? Yeah. Wow. And uh, she was obviously quite an advanced teacher, um, but she was saying that she had a younger colleague who had gone over who um, was essentially, as she put it, was able to buy a house on a single income and travel internationally. Um so there are there is plenty, and it's not just teachers. Obviously, the average wage over there is is, is just much higher. 
And Jed, will you be moving to Australia or will you stay here so that I can talk to you about this again <laughs> soon? Um, honestly, I've, I'm not sure if uh, the same thing's happened in your office, but certainly we've seen um, a lot of people um, from ours uh, departing. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot to tempt you over. I mean, just for example, average wages, Australia, 1,970 per week. Here it's 1,500. Mm. Uh, rents are lower. Um, I mean, the most expensive area in uh, Australia, the average weekly rent is 560 uh, Australian dollars. Um, but I mean, that's the most expensive area. And yet the median in New Zealand is 560 New Zealand dollars. So mm. Uh, you do, and again, as a business reporter, you look at the numbers and you try and establish the quality of life you can gain from them, and it te- it's very tempting. Um, luckily, I like stuff and I like my job. Jed Can, thank you so much for your time. And if you want to know more about this, you can find Jed's story online at stuff.co.nz. Alrighty. Even though he's not here, he being Emil Donovan, I hope you're feeling all right, mate. Um... <laughs> What's the score? Emil and I weren't too sure, I feel, on Friday. I think he said it was 9-5, but I, I, I think he's being generous there. It's currently 8-4. 8-4, yeah. So he had, he had given me an extra point. But we're back to the close ones. Oh, gosh. What were the facts again? Hang on one second. Mine was that uh, there used to be an art category in the Olympics between yep. 1912 and 1948. And Emil's was that you could make diamonds from peanut butter. The winner of mm-hmm. Fun Fact Friday mm-hmm. was Emil Donovan. No! Yes. No! 52 to 48. No! Hey, Chris. Yes? Do you want another very broad question? I've got a very broad question today. Go on, then. What do you know about sports? Up the wires, go the Black Caps, and don't forget Premier League football. Oh, you do love a bit of Premier League footage, do. don't you? What team is it that you support again? Oh, the current champions, Manchester City. I think they're pronounced Arsenal. It's pronounced Arsenal. Uh, but you know what's good about football? It what? They don't regulate soccer. I'm sorry? There's a sport that regulates sock height? Indeed there is, and it's cycling. That's very strange. Why on earth do they regulate it? Well, I know, but if you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the Big Stuff Quiz, wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) Oh, that's a cliffhanger indeed. The Big Stuff Quiz is brought to you by Melbourne Every Bit Different. Okay, so we, 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 we said we were going to do this earlier in the openers, but... It's a topic that we've realised divides. And surprisingly so. Like, I would not have thought this would be divisive. But I suppose, because it's food related, right, and people get very passionate about food. We're talking about whether or not you reheat your leftovers. I, point blank, will never reheat a leftover if I'm eating it for lunch or breakfast or whatever. Is that purely because you're so hungus, you just want to eat it immediately and you can't wait the two and a half minutes? Look, I can see why you've come to that conclusion. But no, I I was thinking about why, and I don't really know why. I think it's because sometimes microwave leaves a taste. You know, like it tastes like it's been... I'm sorry, what? But you know, like sometimes it, it, it can taste like it's been in a microwave. No, microwave you taste. Have to expand on that. But it me. tastes like you know, like it, you know, when you leave something in the fridge uncovered, it starts to like take on fridge taste. Like if you yeah, don't, but there's other things in the fridge. Yeah, but so you think about all the. Sh- I was about to say shit. I can say shit. Think about all the shit that you put in a microwave to reheat. That surely lingers. I I I swear, when I reheat something, it just doesn't taste as yummy purely because it's like morphed into this unknown food group that just exists in microwave atmosphere. 
I think the follow-up we've got here is we're going to need to make you taste test <laughs> something that has been heated in a microwave and something that hasn't and see if you can pick the difference because I bet you won't be able to. <laughs> I am here for a heated leftover. There are some things I will eat cold. Okay, name. KFC. Ooh, that's delicious, especially if you've had a, a few uh, cheeky Pinot Gris the night before and you're feeling a little bit fragile. The next morning, a bit of cold KFC will fix you right up. What about pizza? I will never reheat pizza. <gasps> See, I will reheat pizza, but I reheat it on the stove. Uh, My godmother showed me a trick one time. She does it in the um, toasty machine to Mm. crisp up the bottom. Is that what you're doing there as well? Yeah, so put it in a wee non-stick pan so the bottom gets deliciously crispy. And if you put a lid over it, it kind of traps the heat so the cheese goes all melty again. It's like having it fresh. I think, um, like I'll even eat a cold curry. I won't reheat a curry. We got ramen a couple of months back and there was leftovers and I ate cold ramen the next morning. So I just think texturally that's strange. <laughs> and then we know where the spoon from. I I don't know if I should publicise this, but I got a, a, I got Burger Fuel the other night and Burger Fuel accidentally gave me another burger. So firstly, yummy Burger Fuel. Like, kia ora, big thank you. Uh, it was while I was sick, so, you know, it was like, oh, my gosh, this makes me feel better. So naturally I saved one. I'm not going to eat two burgers. And then I had – would have eaten two. I, <laughs> I could have. I had the extra burger, bonus burger, yummy burger, for lunch the next day, and I didn't reheat it. I had it cold. And then I don't – first and foremost, having a burger at lunchtime is a bad idea. <laughs> Way the too much. was real. Everybody out there, Imogen struggled through her afternoon. She was not emotionally ready. A lunch for burger is never a good idea, and I've learnt my lesson. But then I just ate it cold, and it was delicious. And I think if I'd heated it up, it wouldn't have been as yummy. We are very interested in what you all out there have to say about this. You will no doubt have some strong opinions on the reheating of leftovers, and we would like to hear them. You can hop on the Instagram, you can find us at NZ, and we're also on TikTok, and if you want to go old school, flick us an email. It's uh, newsable at stuff.co.nz. We love email correspondence. That's Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Jono Williams. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you follow us on your favourite podcast player, leave us a rating and a review as well. It actually does help other people discover the show and it makes us feel like our contribution to society is valued. Producer Jono told me to say something funny to end this, but now, you know, when you just say overthink it. So, something funny. <laughs> oh. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz support.